The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. morning. Thank you for letting me be here, and I really appreciate being with Darren. And yes, uh, I remember uh, our time together and uh, I, and uh, the opportunity. Uh, Martin was in my youth group at, at Rockwood. I was a youth pastor there a long, long time ago, back in the early 1980s. But uh, Darren came and was part of our, our replant at Warnell Road almost 10 years ago, was our very first... Uh, very first intern we had, and uh, there was about 20 people there at the time, I think, and uh, he was such an encouragement to me and to Jill, and I really enjoyed following his ministry. My dad was a member at uh, Sycamore Hills, and uh, so he really spoke highly of Darren and enjoyed Darren's ministry at Sycamore Hills, so it's a pleasure to be with you. I actually came to the Tower View a couple times years ago when you were uh, really at the, at the very depths of, of perhaps wondering if you had a future, and uh, got to meet with you a few times, and it's great to see what God has done here and how he has revitalized this church and is continuing to for his glory. I do want to thank you for your commitment and your, your uh, uh, constant support of the cooperative program and the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. As Darren said, I am your home missionary. I serve all across North America and Canada, helping replant dying churches, and uh, you might find this difficult to believe, but uh, Southern Baptists have over 45,000 churches, but we close 900 a year, every single year. There'll be 18 churches that this will be their last Sunday, and the vast majority of those churches are in communities where uh, the population is growing, and uh, so we have to do something about that. And so what we're attempting to do under God's guidance and leadership is raise up a generation of young men who choose to go to dying churches, plant their life there, love, teach, stay, and pray. And, uh, and for the glory of God, see those churches come back. And so we're beginning to see that happen, and it's my privilege to be part of that work. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Second Timothy. This morning we're going to focus on motivating the heart of a child toward the gospel. It was a very exciting and wonderful. One of, the, one of the most wonderful things I got to do as a pastor uh, was dedicate babies. I always loved doing that and enjoyed it tremendously and missed that part of the ministry a great deal. And so when Darren told me you were going to have a baby dedication this morning, I just wanted to bring from my heart and my years of experience as a pastor, as a father, as a grandfather now, um, what it means to motivate the heart of a child uh, toward the gospel. So we're going to look at Paul's letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy, in these first verses, and then we'll take some time and, and unpack these for us today and how they apply to our lives as parents, as grandparents, and as members of a local body of church, of a church like Tower View. So let's read God's Word together. Listen while I read 2 Timothy, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from the God of the Father of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. You know, I'm reminded 
of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and also in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame that gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. Before the ages began, and which has now been made manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, apostle, and teacher. Father, as we look deeply at your word today, I pray you'll speak to us as only you are able to do. Open our eyes, our ears, and Lord, even melt our hard hearts. We're so prone to want things other than what you desire for us. Lord, today, draw us to you. Motivate us to love you. Motivate us to want to learn about your word. Motivate us to want to hear you speak to us. And Father, through the preaching and the teaching of your word, transform our hearts to be conformed to Christ. I thank you for this church, for their passionate witness of the gospel in this community. I thank you for their pastor and his wonderful wife, Natalie, and for their desire to serve here. I thank you that you've given this group a a commitment and a passion to reach this neighborhood, to stake a claim for the glory of God right here in this place, to hold true to the doctrine that is so abundantly clear in your word, to preach the scripture, to be completely, Father, and totally committed to the fidelity of scripture. At the same time, I thank you, Lord, that this church is committed to be immersed in its culture. Lord, how I pray for these people. Protect them from the adversary. Empower them with your gospel. Draw them and knit them close together as a family of God centered around the preaching of the gospel and the cross of Jesus Christ and what you've done for them. Lord, there are those here this morning who just are absolutely discouraged, despondent. Their hearts are heavy. They have all kinds of fears and anxieties. Lord, meet them this morning at the point of their greatest need. Others, Father, are here and not even sure why. It's Sunday morning, I come to church, my heart's not really in it, not really singing the songs, don't really care what's going on. Lord, how I pray you'll penetrate their heart with your love and your power and your grace. And Father, there are some here today who are aware that they are sinful and sinner, have never responded, never repented. Perhaps they're pretending so people will think they are. Lord, help them come to grips with that reality. Whatever whatever has brought us here, Lord, we know ultimately it was your providential guidance that placed us in these seats today, and you desire to meet us here. So, Father, meet us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me talk a minute about Paul's relationship to Timothy. Well, let's talk for a minute about Timothy, an amazing young man who came from sort of a mixed marriage. His, his mother and father were not of the same religious or heritage background. 
and his father is not in the picture. And it appears, as you read the text, that his father is probably dead. His father is certainly not in the picture. And so this young child in sort of a family from a mixed uh, heritage, a mixed uh, religious background, is raised by his mother and his grandmother. And it's actually when Paul goes and preaches uh, in an earlier journey that, that, that Lois and Eunice, who, who are God-fearers, not, not, not Christians, not followers of Jesus, and not, not fully engaged in the acts of Judaism, but somehow or another they are God-fearers. They hear the message that Paul preaches. The Holy Spirit opens their eyes, draws them to himself, and they are redeemed. They repent, and they are regenerate, and they come to know Christ, and they follow him, and they become followers, disciples of Jesus Christ through the preaching and the teaching of Paul. Then this young child of theirs, Timothy, they begin to raise and nurture in that. And, and as you read the scripture, there's another place where people point out to Paul that Timothy has some ability. Timothy has some leadership skills. Timothy has something in him that, that others look to. And so Paul pours his life into Timothy. And one of the ways he does that is he says to Timothy, you come and go with me. I love that picture. I, I, love, I love what Paul does. Paul never quits investing himself in the younger generation of leaders. And so he not only just embraces Timothy, but he, he invests in Timothy. And he says, you just come and hang out with me and live with me and spend time with me. And so they traveled together, did ministry together. They lived together. They, they ate together. They, 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 they experienced life together at a very deep and meaningful level. And so in every sense of the word, in every sense of the word, Paul is like a dad to Timothy and Timothy is like a son to Paul. And so we want to know how, as believers in Christ, we should relate to our children. There perhaps is no better place to look than the way that Paul related to Timothy. So let's take a few moments this morning, and let's look at how Paul relates to Timothy, and let's ask God to shape our hearts and our minds so that we relate to our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, and the other children in our church family in the same way. Paul begins, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Now, it's possible, I'm going to have to take this off, it's possible that you might just read past that and think that is like, hey, how you doing? And now we're going to get to the letter. <laughs> but that's not what that means. That's not what's going on. First of all, you notice in the second phrase there, Paul talks about my beloved child. There's no doubt that his relationship with Timothy, now listen to me, his relationship to Timothy is a relationship built on deep and abiding affection and love and commitment to him. But that's not where he starts, is it? Look at where he starts in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul makes it clear to Timothy that what I'm, my relationship to you is not just because I like you and I desire to be with you and you are like a son to me, but my relationship to you comes from the authority of that God has given me. We all want our children to love us and like us. I mean, we do. But please understand this. Authority does not preclude in any way a closeness, an intimacy, a desire for love. And in fact, it is based on a relationship with authority that intimacy can take place. 
Paul sees no conflict in telling Timothy, look, I am apostle of Jesus Christ, and what I'm going to say to you comes from what he has done for me and through me and the authority. I, these are the words of God. I have a, in, in a sense, he's saying I have authority over you, but I deeply love you. And I can't emphasize enough how important it is for children to understand the, the idea of authority in their life. And all, if all we do is want to be friends with them and be close to them and for them to like us, we will sometimes forego the authority thinking that if they like us enough, they'll respect us enough. And again, I can't emphasize enough how Paul sets before Timothy the fact that his authority that comes from God. And as a parent, you have to make that clear early on that your authority is from the Lord. It's from God. God has placed you in the home as an authority over this child, but you still love the child tremendously. All right. It's not every Sunday that I'd use an Andy Griffith reference. I had to look it up, but I was able to find it. I was watching Andy Griffin one time. Any time it's on, I just have to stop and watch it. You just have to. You just, you just can't help it. First of all, the cars are really cool, and the characters, you know them really well. I grew up with them, you know, on TV. And I, I, was, I was slipping through one day, and, and Buddy Ebsen was on Andy Griffin, you know, from Beverly Hillbillies, except he wasn't, but he wasn't, he wasn't from Beverly Hillbillies. He was playing another character. Buddy Ebsen was playing a sort of a hobo who came through town, and, and he, he connected to Opie. And Opie was extremely impressed with the fact that this hobo could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. He didn't go to work. He, sort of, he was sort of a con man. He could sort of get anything from anybody. And Opie began to disrespect his father's authority because he enjoyed the life that this hobo character could provide. And there's a confrontation, really, between Andy and this hobo character named Daniel, or David, rather. And David, the hobo character, says to to Andy, he says, who's to say that the boy wouldn't be happier your way or my way? Why not let the boy decide how he wants to live his life? There's this real conflict that takes place, and Opie is really sort of pushing his father aside because he loves the way this hobo lives. So Andy meets with David, the hobo, and says, look, you know, my child, you've got to back off. And he said, wait a minute, who's to say that your child wouldn't be happier living my way than your way? And I think we need to let him decide. And there comes a time sometimes in our lives we think, do I really want to come down heavy on my children? Don't I want my children to like me? And I was watching this and I realized this is such a a, a wonderful example of what parents go through. The world says to kids, look, you can eat anything you want, go anywhere you want, do anything you want, and you'll be happy. And we say, well, you know, we don't don't want to restrict them. We, We don't want them not to like us. And maybe if we let them go do all those things, they'll like us. After all, they seem to like the world. I mean, Opie seemed to be so actually in terribly, terribly enamored with this hobo. You know, how could, how could Andy not, I mean, what's he going to do? Is he going to just gonna play the bad guy? Then would not Opie resent him and would not Opie not like him? And again, some of us as parents, we find all of our sense of self-worth in whether our children like us or not. Am I, am I connecting with you on this at all? All right, good. That's good to know because it would be terrible if I wasn't. And this may be one of the most profound things you ever hear on the Andy Griffin Show. Seriously. And I'm sitting there listening to this, and I'm thinking, this is a real issue. I mean, 
this, this smooth-talking hobo who has a great-looking life. I mean, he didn't have to go to work, yet he has everything he wants and doesn't obey the rules. He taught, I think he taught, he taught Opie how to get gum out of a gumball machine without using money, you know, that kind of thing. Seriously, all those kind of things. Opie's just enamored with this. So David says, can't we just let the boy decide? Can't we just let our children decide for themselves what's right and what's wrong? Can't we let our children decide whether, what they want to believe about God, what they believe about the gospel? Can't we just let our children decide? Shouldn't we just let them make up their own minds? Wouldn't they like us better if we let them make up their own minds? Andy says, no, I'm afraid it doesn't work that way. I can't talk like Andy. I wish I could. Now, you listen to this. This is good stuff. You cannot let a young'un decide for himself. He'll grab at the first flashy thing with shiny ribbons on it. Then, when he finds out there's a hook in it, it's too late. Wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter, it's hard to convince him that other things might be better in the long run. All a parent can do is say, wait, don't do that. Trust me and keep the temptation away. That's pretty profound, I think. And so when we look at what Paul is talking to Timothy here about, he, he begins his entire discourse with Timothy on the idea that I have authority over you. And it's not just my authority. The authority I have over you comes from God. As a parent, you have authority over your children. And it's not your authority. It comes from God. And it does not preclude your love and your affection and, and your commitment. And you know how the story ends in 20 minutes on TV. Opie sees the light and loves his dad and everything's okay. It's not always that simple in real life. But I like the simplicity that Andy brought to it. That no, it's not about getting your children to like you. You're there to protect them. And you can't do both sometimes. <laughs> and then the second part of verse 2. Grace and mercy and peace from the God, the Father of Christ Jesus, our Lord. By the way, whenever you see the phrase Christ Jesus, our Lord, in the New Testament, that is... That is obviously, as people say, shorthand for the gospel message. Jesus was the, 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 the one born of a virgin, the incarnate God. Christ was the one, that's the title he used to, to indicate his position as the, as the Savior, as, as the substitute, as the atoning one who did the work on the cross. And Lord, as the one that we bow before, that is our King of kings and Lord of lords, our protector, our guide. And so when Paul uses that phrase, Jesus Christ is Lord, again, it's not just a name for Jesus. It's really the gospel in shorthand. So as Paul talks to Timothy, he has authority over Timothy that comes from God. He loves Timothy greatly, and he explains to him the power of the God. All of this is wrapped up in the power of the gospel. Every, listen, every single conversation that Paul has in Timothy, with Timothy that we see recorded is a conversation that is drenched and saturated and soaked in the language of the gospel. You motivate a child's heart for the gospel by, 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 by having the language in your life completely drenched in the conversation of the gospel. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. This is all because of God set this in place, Timothy. And by the promise that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my beloved child. 
grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You set the sense of authority and relationship, and the authority and relationship you have with your child comes from God. And the relationship you have with God, listen, is through Jesus Christ, through the gospel. You, you make that really clear in the life as you raise your children. And then he says in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. Now, that's a bit redundant. Constantly is day and night. But he wants to make it abundantly clear how much he thinks of Timothy and how often he prays for Timothy. He makes it clear that, Timothy, you are on my heart. You are on my mind. You are never away from my heart. And I pray for you constantly. You motivate the heart of a child by praying for that child and listen and letting that child know you pray for that child and letting that child hear you pray for them by name. It is absolutely critical that a child hear their mom or their dad or both pray for them by name all the time. A grandparents, you need to pray for your grandchildren by name and let them hear you do that. Aunts and uncles, Pray for children by name and let them hear you do that. Let them know of, their, of your constant and ever-present prayer for them on behalf of them. As I remember you and your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I mean... Paul is painting for Timothy here this amazing picture of the basis of their relationship. On the authority of God, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, I have authority over you, but I deeply love you. And it is all saturated in the gospel and what Christ has accomplished for me and for you. That is the, that is the basis of our relationship. And on basis on that, I pray for you constantly, day and night. And because I pray for you constantly, day and night, my heart is drawn to you. And I have the greatest memories of you. Let your children know how much you love the memories of them children love to be told listen they love to be told the story of how they were born what happened on the day they were born they love to hear that they love to know the history of their life and and how you did this with them and how you did that with them and you know today we do all these scrapbooks and that's really cool and i really encourage you to do that and go through those with your children but when i was a child we really didn't have scrapbooks but we had we had slides and I remember my father, we'd beg my dad and my mom to put up the bed sheet at night and we would bring up the slide projector from the basement and we would get out the slides of us when we were little children. And we'd seen these slides over and over and over. It wasn't like we'd never seen them before. But we'd throw them up on that bed sheet. And it wasn't so much that I wanted to see. I was only seven or eight years old. I didn't really care what I looked like when I was two or three. It didn't really mean that much to me. But, but I enjoyed those evenings when we would see the slides, especially if we maybe did them outside and put it on the side of the house. And we'd sit outside in the summer and throw the. And the reason I enjoyed seeing those slides was when those pictures that of myself and my sisters when we were newborns and when we were preschoolers and on our first day of school, when those would come up. Listen, what, what, what made me enjoy those pictures so much was the reaction of my parents to those pictures. I would see the joy that they had at remembering those events. It's really important for your children to know how joyful you are about those events. Remember when Jesus was born? The gospel writer Luke tells us that Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
My goodness, friends, talk to your children about the story. Remind them of how special those days were. How, remember those days when you went first, went to the first day of school or the first day you did this. Or I remember where you were and you took your first step. Or I remember when we brought you home from the hospital and, I, and relive those things. Here Paul is talking to a grown young man, but he's telling him how I love the memories and I even cry over the memories that we have together. I'm so emotional connected to that. And again, I don't want to be redundant, but redundant, but I've already I am redundant, so you just have to deal with it. The authority that Paul has over Timothy does not preclude this level of intimacy and love and compassion. The authority that Andy had with Opie didn't preclude that either. You cannot change your authority and give it away in order to gain intimacy. You will will have neither authority or intimacy if that happens. Think about it for a minute. Jesus has incredible intimacy with you, yet he has complete authority over you. And that's something the world will push back on you on. And the world will condemn you. If you're going to come down on your children, you're going to say right is right is wrong is wrong and you can't do this and this is true and this is false and there is a way that's right and there is a way that's wrong. The world will push back on you all the time and tell you you can't. The world will be like David in the, not David in the Bible, but David in Mayberry. The (laughs) world will be like the hobo David that says, you know, if you really love your child, you'll let them choose for themselves. So here, Paul talks about the love and affection he has for Timothy by remembering. And then he says this. Verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith. That word sincere means without hypocrisy. In other words, Timothy, your faith is not a faith that you turn on when you show up at the gathered church and you can turn off when you're in the marketplace during the week. Timothy, your faith is not a faith that if you're asked to teach, you can stand up and teach really well, but then later in the week when you're with other people, nobody would even know you're a believer. Paul says, Timothy, I see in your faith a sincere faith without hypocrisy. That's a great compliment. And listen to, what, listen to where he talks about where it is found. A sincere faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and now, and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells also in you. You've, you've gone to church much in your life. You've heard that passage before, and you've, you've heard sermons maybe even on complimenting the mother and grandmother for. But you know, check this out. Listen to me for a minute. Paul doesn't say your faith without hypocrisy that you found at your church does he? He doesn't even say your faith without hypocrisy that the elders at your church instilled in you. He doesn't say faith without hypocrisy that came from my preaching that your parent, your mother and your grandmother heard and then gave it to you. He says your faith without hypocrisy that dwelt first in your mother and your grandmother. In other words, Paul lays the salvation and the understanding of the gospel for Timothy squarely on this single mother and grandmother who raised this son. Now, we need the gathered church, and we'll talk about this before we leave, how much we need one another. But here's what we can never do, parents and grandparents. You can never outsource the spiritual development and the sharing of the gospel to the church. 
And we have a whole culture of consumerized parents who are just looking for the best church to take their kids, the one that's got the biggest six flags over Jesus, the one that's got the greatest children's ministry and all the activities and all the whistles and bells and maybe all the children's ministry and all the youth ministry. And we could just drop them off there and release them to this great and wonderful children's ministry. Wow, maybe they can actually instill the gospel in them. And you and I both know what happens in churches. We may have huge children's ministries and huge youth ministries, but if the parents are not involved in the lives of those kids and sharing the gospel with them, if it doesn't come from the home, when those children leave high school, go to college, they seldom come back to church because church has become a place for them that served them and met their needs and entertained them and kept them busy and all those things. And then it's not the picture of church that the New Testament talks about. And I love the fact that Paul, he could have said, you know, the, the, the faith that is in you that I first preached to your mother or, or that, that, that you found out at the First Baptist Church of Ephesus. And no doubt there was, it wouldn't have happened without him preaching to the parents. And, and no doubt the First Baptist Church of Ephesus is what fed Lois and Eunice and trained them. But he lays the development and the sincere faith for Timothy squarely at the parents. If that makes you uncomfortable today, so be it. You cannot outsource the spiritual development of your children to anybody, to any church. It is your responsibility, and it's your joy, and it's your satisfaction. Okay, so, and then he says, For this reason I remind you in verse 6 to fan the flame of God, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. So here's what he does. He, he, he motivates them by assuring him that, that I see in you a gift. He wants to encourage and motivate by assuring them. So when you have your children, you let them know that they are a gift from God. You let them know that God desires to love them and grow them in his knowledge. You're constantly motivating and encouraging them on what God desires to do in and through them, through your conversations and through your language. So here you see Paul setting the authority that he has over Timothy. From that authority, he has incredible love and intimacy and commitment to him. From that, he acknowledges that that it has been the hand of God on Timothy's life, first in his mother and his grandmother, and how that it was in the home that he first learned of the gospel, and he embraced that faith that is so authentic. And then Paul talks about how I love you, and I care for you, and I pray for you, and I want to motivate you. And even though the world may think, Timothy, you're too young to be a leader, or you're too quiet to be a leader, or you don't have what it takes to be a leader, Timothy, I'm here to champion you, and to be behind you, and to never let you down, and to know that you can always come to me, all of those things, children need to lead but i want you to i want to sort of land on this maybe last thing here and this perhaps in my life is maybe the most important verse eight therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our lord nor of me his prisoner paul is in prison Some people are probably questioning if God is powerful and on his throne. Why is this man Paul that you love and care for so much and is the father of you in the faith? Why is he in prison? You see, 
One of the things Paul is able to do, and this is so important. I mean, please hear me say this as a, as a parent, as a grandparent. This is so important. Paul is communicating to Timothy that, listen, my joy, the apostle, my joy is not found in the things Jesus can do for me. My joy is found in Jesus. So if Jesus determines to put me in prison, my joy in Jesus does not diminish in the least. If Jesus determines to set me free, my joy does not diminish in the least. If Jesus determines that I should be clothed and fed, that's great. But if Jesus determines for his glory and my edification, I should be poor and hungry, that's great. Sometimes what we do with our children is we teach them to love the things that Jesus can give us and not really love Jesus. We pray for a new car. We pray for a better job. We pray for health. We pray for wealth. We pray for wellness. And, and this isn't a sermon on those things. And there is a place to pray for those things and let your requests be made known to God. And don't forget to thank him for his answers. But it's also ultimately important to know as we talk to our children that we can rejoice in adversity. The greatest message of the gospel you will ever share with your children is to say, as Paul did, do not be ashamed that I'm in prison. I'm fine here. No matter what happens, you let your adversity in life become a platform upon which you will display the glory of God to your children and you will transform your children. But if you pray that God would bless you with material things or, 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 or solve your problems or make your life easier, and then when he does, you celebrate how wonderful Jesus is, and then when he doesn't, what do you do? I hope I'm making sense with this. But it's ultimately important that your children see that your joy is in Jesus and not the things he, for his purpose, determines to give you from time to time. So that you can celebrate in, in all conditions of your life. Imagine the joy. Paul, when he talks about, do not be ashamed that I'm in prison. I'm fine. I'm, I'm full of joy. Jesus is my king. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is the one I love. Jesus is the one who sustains me. How that teaches Timothy that no matter what happens to Timothy, his relationship to Jesus never changes. That his joy is found not in his circumstances, but in Christ who cares for him above all else. Be very careful the way we pray, that we don't just pray on a list of things as though God is some sort of a cosmic bellboy and we just want him to deliver stuff to us. And then we get exceedingly excited maybe when, when something good happens to us, something we consider good happens to us. We should be excited that we have been redeemed. Your children should hear you be excited every day that, listen, the greatest thing has already happened to you, as Paul did. I am a child of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I said, Paul never gets over the gospel. There are times when he expresses gratitude that God has met his physical needs, his financial needs, his needs of shelter, his needs of clothing. But those things pale in comparison to how Paul always tells Timothy and all who listen to him, the greatest satisfaction I have is in Jesus Christ the Lord, in what he has accomplished for me, in what he has already purchased for me, in what he has already promised to do for me. So in those hours of struggle when you may have lost your job and your parents may be sick and, and your life may be turned upside down, your children need to see you Find your joy in Jesus in those times. That's how you motivate a heart of a child for the gospel. And lastly, as I said, Paul talks about the gospel and everything he does. The gospel t reminds a child not what they need to do for Jesus, but it reminds them constantly what Jesus has already done for them. 
You know, I grew up in the 60s in a very traditional church setting with well-minded people who did what they thought was the absolute best they could. But I must tell you that I grew up in an era and a time when I grew up with an awful lot of moralism and legalism. And I grew up with a sense that I needed to behave a certain way in order for Jesus to love me and accept me. And we need to teach our children. For example, and this isn't a bad song, and don't leave here thinking I said it's a bad song. But I remember as a child in Sunday school singing, be careful little hands what you do, you know, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little mouth what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful little hands, mouth, eyes, and what you do. Nothing particularly wrong with that, except, listen, if the motivation for a child to be careful about what they do, see, and say is because they're fearful that God's watching them all the time, that's legalism. That's moralism. That brings no joy. In fact, if, if in that sense, now listen to carefully how I'm unpacking this. In that sense, when they do control their desires and they do discipline themselves to be good then they can even become prideful that look i am actually doing something and then when they don't aren't able because they're all we're all fallen creatures we all say things we shouldn't say and do things we shouldn't do then we feel that the god father up above is looking down at us in what hatred and we hide from god we don't want to go to church do you, do you stand what i'm trying to unpack for you here here's the difference if you tell a child, be careful little hands what you do and eyes what you see and tongue what you say because the Father up above has already died for you. He, is, he has already shown his love for you in such a way that how could you want to do anything wrong knowing how much he's done for you already? I wasn't very really a rebellious teenager. I really wasn't. I mean, I wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I wasn't really rebellious. I never really got into big trouble. And my parents had a set curfew for us, and I, I seldom ever missed that curfew. And if I did, I called my parents. And it wasn't because I would, listen, this is really important. It wasn't because I was afraid of my dad. If anybody knew my dad, you could say, how could you ever be afraid of Harry Clifton? I was never afraid of my dad, ever. But I was fearful like you couldn't believe of breaking my dad's heart because I knew daily how much my dad loved me and how much he prayed for me and how important I was in his life. And yet the authority he had over me, I never doubted for one minute the authority he had over me that came from God as my father. And he, he never tried to be my best friend. He was always my father. But I, it was this relationship that I see in Timothy. And so when it came to be midnight, and if I wasn't going to make it home, we didn't have cell phones, I did the best to find a pay phone and call my mom and my dad and say, I'm going to be late. Not because I was fearful of their anger, but because I loved them and knew how much they'd done for me. That is the motivation of a child, to teach them how much Jesus has done for them so that they want to live a holy life, not out of a fear of a wrathful God or to try to please God in some moralistic way, but because they understand how much Jesus has already accomplished for them. You motivate the heart of a child by setting out a front what your relationship is with them. It's the authority that comes from God. Letting them know you love them unconditionally. Letting them know you pray for them daily. Reminding them how special they are to you and how wonderful the memories they have of you. And you saturate all of that in conversation about the gospel. Not when they become 12 years old, but when they're 12 days old. It's wonderful to read the story of Christmas to a 12-day-old baby. 
No problem. First of all, you need to hear it. And secondly, your children never need to know a time when you weren't reading it to them. To tell them that story of Jesus over and over. If you're here today and you have children, this is a great time for us to check our hearts and determine how we can live that way. If you're here today and you don't, you have grandchildren, start over with your grandchildren. If you're here today and you don't have any children, you're part of a family. God gives us a biological family, and he gives us a gathered church family. And the gathered church family is critical. It's just as important, dear ones, in the Scripture as the biological family. It really is. So every child in this church is your child in that sense. And every child that was dedicated up here this morning, if you're a member of this gathered church, you need to do the things with that child as you have the opportunity that I just shared to share the gospel with them. You know, when I grew up, you know, the one thing I always heard from adults in my church that I can never, remember, never forget, don't run in church. That's all I heard growing up. You think about what it was like when I was like six and I was the pastor's kid. Don't run in church. Don't run in church. Don't run in church. I'm sorry. Three-year-olds run everywhere they go. They have two speeds. They're either standing still or they're running. Did you ever see a three-year-old walk quietly down a hallway? Now, maybe 12 or 14, I suppose. And I understand the respect. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I understand the respect, and, and, and there's a place to do this and a place to not. And using your inside voice and your outside voice, I get all that. But, dear ones, if the only thing they ever hear us do at church as adults who don't know them other than adults in church is say, quit doing this and don't run in church and don't do that. That sense of, of you know, and I was, I was always told that the church is just a building. Well, if it's just a building, why can't I run in it? I mean, I, those are mixed messages that came to me. And when you're seven or eight, you don't parcel out and understand the difference of that. But what I needed to hear from other believers was what Jesus meant to them. And I'll, I'll tell you, my, obviously my father was a huge influence on my life. But in many ways, as, a, as an adolescent young man, as great an influence as my dad was were men like Clifford Lynch and Jerry Ruff and Jerry Sutti. And these were men in my dad's church who I saw live a godly Christian life, who taught me in Sunday school or who led my royal ambassador group and who taught me the gospel by the way they loved Jesus and the way they told me how much Jesus had done for me. You have an opportunity here, even if you don't have children or your children don't live near here, or your children are all grown, you have an opportunity here in this gathered church to be, a, in a sense, a spiritual parent to these kids. And if they are running in church and they're going to hurt themselves, maybe you tell them to slow down, but at the same time you tell them how much you love them, how grateful you are they're here. And you get to know their name. And maybe if you're physically able, you bend down and get on their level and talk to them and let them know that church is a place where they're valued, they're loved, they're treasured. Because in this world, there are going to be fewer and fewer of those places. And you develop in them early on. This church is a safe place where people who don't look like me, people who are bigger than me, people who are older than me, love me. They don't just yell at me and tell me to be quiet and tell me to quit running all the time. I think that's really important. And so we can motivate the heart of a child by looking at how Christ used Paul to motivate Timothy to become all that he could be in Jesus Christ. And again, it's all saturated by the gospel. From the beginning of that passage to the end, it is all saturated by that. Do you know the gospel in your life? Do you understand how much Jesus has accomplished for you do you desire to be good for him, not because you want to please him, but because he's already pleased God for you and it's just your natural outflow of love for him? Are you teaching your children 
daily to be thankful for what Jesus has already accomplished for them. That it's not that they have to be good for Jesus, it's that Jesus was so perfect for them. Do you teach them that? Do they understand that? Do you know that? If you don't, you can this morning. And we trust that you would. And we trust that you will. And let's just be straight up. Generation of children that we dedicated here this morning are going to need a family in the church of God more than any generation perhaps in the history of our nation. So we have to all come together. We have to say we want to be. Paul was not a biological parent to Timothy. We all have to be spiritual parents to these children. And I'll end with this. You have to come alongside these young couples and love them and nurture them and pray for them and support them as they raise their children in the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, how we thank you that you sought us out and you loved us and you chose us for your own. Being a parent is not easy. But, Father, that's why we need a gathered community of faith, a covenant family like the church that helps us through those times and to follow your word and to trust you. And, Lord, I just pray that if they go away from one thing today, young families, old families, all of us will realize that if we saturate our lives, our conversations, our hearts with the gospel, so much else will take care of itself. Lord, keep us away from moralism and legalism. Keep us away from trying to impress people with the way we behave. Lord, help us not to want to sacrifice our authority so that we can have our children like us and their families and their, excuse me, their friends at school like us. But Lord, help us to do things biblically as you've laid out for us. There's one here, more maybe, who've never responded to faith in you, don't understand the gospel. Lord, I pray you'll open their eyes as only you can and draw them with complete and full effect to your saving grace today. In Jesus' name, amen.